Does, uh, has anybody ever had a Christmas or a holiday when you've had everything planned to a T and the very first thing that happens throws your plan out the window? Anybody ever have a Christmas or a holiday like that? Maybe it's a family member does something and you're like, well, that just blew that right out the door. Everything I thought was going to happen really just didn't happen. Or, or the place you were going to go has happened. Or, or, or one year, somebody in our house on Christmas Day got the flu. Well, okay, we've got to rearrange how we're going to get there. And, okay, we're going to have to go here. And, and expectations about what the day we're going to be were going to be different. But it actually turned out better. Well, there was one year I can distinctly remember, and Katie was helping me this week uh, with this memory. Um, but it was when our first child was born, Caleb. When your first child is born, you have all these expectations about what Christmas is going to be. You're going to get these pictures, and they're going to look just like this, and everything's going to be perfect, and, and, and it's going to be amazing, and, and, and you're going to do this and this, and all the memories for the one-year-old are going to be like you had when you were a child, all the one-year-olds don't remember what they you know, just did a few seconds ago, but that's what you think as a parent. I'm going to get this, and we're going to show them the pictures, and it's going to be fantastic, and everything's going to be perfect. And that's what we had expected. We're going to go to this parent's house and this grandparent and this and this. And Well, Christmas Eve comes, that first Christmas with Caleb. He's almost a year old. And we discover that the little, you know, subtle sickness we thought was going away ended up being RSV. And it was a lot more serious than we had anticipated. And immediately on Christmas Eve, that changed our whole plan. We're not going to go to this grandparent's house. We're not going to go to that parent's house. We're not going to drive up to Oklahoma to that grandparent's house. We're not going to go to this other grandparent's house. Everything was going to change. Because if they wanted to see us now, they were going to have to come to our house. <laughs> they were going to have to come to our house because getting him out would just make him sicker, would make it worse. And so we're just going to, first baby's Christmas, of course they're all going to come see us. So we're going to stay there and we're going to take care. It's just going to be like this. Not what we thought. The pictures aren't going to be this. He's not going to be wearing the, the cute clothes because he's sick and you put him in cute clothes and he's just going to throw up on the cute clothes and then there's no point of having the cute clothes. And so we just, you know, it's just going to be what it is. You know, you don't have any control over what's going to happen. But what you do have control over is how you respond to what does happen. And so everybody came to our house. And you know what ended up happening that first Christmas? There wasn't running around. There wasn't scurrying. There wasn't gathering up everything to go to this, to there, to this, to there. It was one of the most relaxing holidays we've ever had in our lives. Even to this day. It was amazing that God allowed us just to be still and be where we were. Even though the, the plans got thrown out the window. We didn't have control, but God did. Remember the mantra we say a lot. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. And we discover that through our response to his plan or to the happenings around us oftentimes. We're going to see that today as well in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or use one of the rack, Luke chapter 2. If you use one on the rack, it's on page 857. Uh, it's also on the screens. Uh, the notes will be in your bulletin. Or you can just hit up our website if you have a smartphone, duqueen.church. It'll be the first little icon that pops up. It'll have all the notes and scripture and the whole shebang right there for you. Luke chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the Christmas story here. And things beyond 
the control of Mary and Joseph and how they responded in this situation. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, <laughs> this is, just seems like set up and background information, but this is very strategic that this is happening at this particular moment in history. You see, Mary and Joseph undoubtedly had expectations about what their married life was going to look like. And all that went out the window when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God. And the angel came to Joseph and said, you know, you need to marry Mary and, and you're going to help raise the Son of God, the Messiah. And so their expectations about what that was going to look like changed dramatically. But at the same time, their expectations about what their daily life was going to be began to become something new. You know, when you're raising a child, it's one thing, but now they're having to raise the Son of God. And so expectations and, and plans, I mean, talk about baby-proofing your home for the Son of God. It's next level. And so they're thinking through all of this. And then the census comes down, which is appropriate. we got a census going on next year. The census comes down from the government. We need to count everybody so we can raise everybody's taxes. And, uh, and so this comes down. And the way they did it back then, um, from what history tells us, is Rome didn't care how each district conducted their census as long as they got the numbers and the money. They just said, do whatever you want, but just get us the numbers and the money, and we're fine with it. You can, you can even, you know, it, this was under the table. They allowed their tax collectors to gouge the people. As long as Rome got their money, they didn't care what the tax collectors did. It didn't matter. If it was illegal, it didn't matter. Just give us the money, and we're fine. And so each district did their own deal. And so what they did here is they told the people, you go back to your ancestral home and you register for the census there. They used national pride, or for Israel, uh, you know, tribal pride. They would go back to the, you know, the, the headquarters, or so to speak, of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that's where they would register. And so Joseph is from the tribe of Judah, David's tribe. And so he would go to Bethlehem, which was the city of David, where David was born. And so he, he gets married, and they go down there to Bethlehem, which is to fulfill prophecy. Prophecy was prophesied many, many years before this, that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And so God has orchestrated even the governmental plans to rob us of our money to fulfill his prophecy. So even Caesar unwittingly is being used by God's power. Look at verse 4. So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so they go down there to Bethlehem. See, he's told where to go. He's told when to go. He's told what he's supposed to do. And because he's going to be registered there in Bethlehem, you know, the, the people taking the census would have a certain idea of the kind of person he was, the kind of person he was, the kind of job he had. Just like, you know, our government next year when they take the census will have, you know, a, a, you know, a, a profile of who we are based on what we write on that form. And so they're going to basically think of Joseph in a certain way. Well, you are this kind of person. 
having no idea that the Son of God is being raised in his house. He's told, he's told he needs to go. He's told where he needs to go. He's kind of told who he's going to be. And how is Joseph going to respond to it? He doesn't have control over the fact that the government's telling him to go to Bethlehem. All he has to do is go. And his life stage circumstances are beyond his control. Everything between Mary's pregnancy, between the governmental tax census here between the even the centuries old prophecies of of the messiah being born in bethlehem he can't control that he's in the middle of everyone else controlling what's going on in his life and so what is he going to do with it 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 may have felt like there wasn't a whole lot that he could do that he had control over but he can control his responsibility he can control his response to what happens within his life all that mattered in his life was who God wanted him to be. God wanted him to be husband to Mary, to be the one who would raise Jesus in his house. It didn't matter where the government told him to go. It didn't matter where his, his career took him or the path that, whether that was a good season or not for a builder of his skills. It didn't matter uh, what everyone thought of him because he was marrying a woman who was already pregnant. It didn't matter. All that mattered to Joseph was what God thought about him. And the same is true of us. Somebody else's opinion or expectations about your life cannot be controlled. You may feel at times like you can't control what's happening, whether it be a health situation you're experiencing right now or somebody in your family is experiencing right now. It may be a deal with your job. It may be a deal with the economy. It may be a deal with your neighbor. You know, they keep doing something on the edge of your lawn you get frustrated about. It may be something you cannot control. What You, you can't control when your family members are going to get to where they're going to get for Christmas this week. You can't control it. You can't control what that uncle's going to say at the table about who they voted for, about what's going on in Washington, D.C. You can't control their mouth. You might wish you could. You might tell the kids to go in the other room for a minute, but you can't control it. You can't control it. It's not yours to make anybody else happy in your life. It's not yours also to make them unhappy on purpose. Some of you may be saying something Wednesday at, at dinner intending to make somebody else at the table irritated. I'm telling you right now, stop. Shut that mess down. You're already, you, you're already planning. Well, they're going to say this, and so I'm going to say that. I'm really going to stick it. I got this thing planned out, and then, and then they're going to say this, and then I'm just going to shoot them down because they don't know what they're talking about. And I did all my research on Wikipedia, and everything on Wikipedia is accurate. And so I'm going to really stick it to them. Don't. That's not displaying for Jesus what, or displaying for them what Jesus would do for their lives. That's not pointing them to Jesus. That's just... You know, humiliating your family member because that's amazing. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's just life advice. It's not in my notes. Life advice. Joseph can't make everybody happy. He can't make the government happy. He can't make the people in Nazareth happy about what his life situation is. They all had their own thoughts about what he was going through and what he was experiencing. Everybody had their own thoughts about Mary being a teenage pregnant girl before she got married to Joseph, and they all had their thoughts about Mary. They all now had their thoughts about Joseph going into this marriage like this, and, and, and so all these thoughts are swirling around, and Joseph knows he can't make any of those people happy. No decision he would make. He could try to make a decision to make that person happy, and it would end up making them not happy because they would have another opinion about something else. Have you all ever made a decision trying to make somebody happy, and it just made the situation worse? Anybody? I've done that. I, every single time it makes it worse. 
You may be trying to make one, the loudest person happy. You may be trying to make the, and it's just 1%. But then when you make the loudest person happy, you make 99% unhappy. It's not about making anybody happy. It's about making Jesus happy. That's what matters. That's where it's at. And so Joseph and Mary, imagine this, right? Mary's pregnant with the Son of God. Nobody buys that story except her and Joseph. And they're walking through town to go to Bethlehem to register for the census. And it's a small town. Anybody know what living in a small town is like? They didn't have transportation. They couldn't hop in their car and hide behind tinted windows and sneak into Walmart and sneak out without anybody seeing them. They had to walk down Main Street. Everybody saw Joseph and Mary and their donkey, as you know, the TV shows tell us they had with them. And so they were walking down Main Street. Everybody's whispering, saying their mess. Oh, here comes Joseph and Mary. You want to come see this? Ah, look at them. Look at them. They're living terrible lives. And they go, and they get to Bethlehem. But they're not worried about anybody else because their job was simply to obey God and leave everything else up to him. Because if we try to make other people happy, we're taking the consequences of that decision on ourselves. But if we seek to make God happy, he takes the consequences on him. And so just as Charles Stanley says, the great Charles Stanley, look him up, read his books, it'll blow your mind. He said, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Simply obey God and leave all the consequences to him. He can handle it. He can take it. Obey God, and people are going to shoot arrows at you, and they're going to say things about you, stab you in the back. It's not about you. It's about him. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. I mean, Joseph and me, I can't even put my, my mind in that context. I mean, in our modern, you know, culture, we're not where they were. And for their situation... Mary being pregnant, everyone would think, well, the natural reaction, this is first century thinking, that Joseph would divorce her and and shun her and never speak to her again because in their culture, if he entered into that marriage, she, according to culture, was unclean and could not worship God in their church. And so if Joseph then entered into that marriage with someone who is unclean, he makes himself unclean and then he's not allowed to go worship in their church. Makes him a lower class person in their mind. But God tells Joseph, you're going to do it because I want you to enter into that marriage because this isn't unclean, this is the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants. And in truth, everybody's unclean. The only way to get clean is to believe in the Jesus that is inside Mary's womb at this very second. So don't listen to everybody else, God tells Joseph and Mary. Listen to me. And at the end of the angel telling Mary, she says, I am willing to go and do They just have to obey God and leave the consequences up to him. Because here it is. This is the one statement right here. I have a constituency of one. You have a constituency of one. That means the job you've been placed into, the life you've been placed to, isn't about making everybody else happy. You're not a representative of anybody except Jesus. He is the only one you should be listening to when pursuing your life. When people are saying this and saying that and saying this and saying this, even this week, you're going to be sitting around the table. Maybe, maybe one of your parents is going to keep whispering under their breath, well, they need to be doing that. 
Well, why don't they have more kids? Well, why don't they have any kids? Why are they still single? Why don't they go and do this? Why don't they do get that job and move closer? Why don't they put me in a better house? They need to bring me into their house and not put me over here in this. Don't listen to that. Your constituency isn't that person. It's not. It's Jesus. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Because when we, the thing is too, when we listen to other people, we're listening to other, other sinners. And their thoughts are sinful, just like my thoughts. I mean, there's sin rattling around my brain all the time because I'm sinful. And so when we listen to, to another sinner, we're trying to make the sinner happy. Trying to, honestly, you want to get there? Try to appease their pride. Trying to make them sin worse in the process. So we just make the whole thing worse. When instead, we should be trying to obey God and please God because God is perfect and there's no sin there. And if we try to please God and make him happy, then, then we grow closer to God and grow closer to perfection in the process that Scripture calls, big theological word, anybody? The process of being made perfect, sanctification the process of being made. It's, it's the process of Christian life. It's being made more like Jesus. That's what that's all about. You know, have you ever seen pictures of people, the comparison the day they get married, and then when they've been married 50 years, and they say, they look more alike, because they've been spending every day together for 50 years. The same is true with Jesus. The more time we spend with him, every day we know him, the more we look like him. We become, that's that big theological word, sanctification. The more we become like him, because we're trying to please him and not anybody else. So Joseph and Mary head down to Bethlehem, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. I love that. We're going to keep going. This, you know, the book of Luke is written by Luke. He's a doctor. And he puts this in very vague language. And I'm sure... If any of you in the room have been through labor, he is very underselling this point. The time came for her to give birth. He's very simple, but he's a man. That's just it. Time came for her to give birth. She gave birth, it's over. No big deal. Easy pie. That's not the way it went down at all. So the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7. And so she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So they had come to Bethlehem, as did everybody else who's from the same Israeli tribe they're from. So there's no place to stay. The place is packed. The whole city is busting at the seams because everybody came for the census. And so they're stuck wherever they are. The scholars think there's all could be in a courtyard, could be in a cave, could be... Uh, a, you know, the lower level of a house where animals stay. Could, wherever it is, there's a manger there, so there's probably animals nearby. And so they're there. Mary gives birth. And the only thing they have for a crib, for a bassinet, is a manger, feeding trough. You've all seen the pictures. And Joseph is a builder. He worked with wood and stone and metal. He could have crafted all kinds of neat beds back then. But he didn't have the time or the resources at the moment. And so this is all they had was a manger. And, and you, you think about it, wrapping him in swaddling cloths, which we still do today, but they place him in a manger. It seems woefully inadequate to place the king of kings on hay in among the animal drool. 
It seems like something, you know, you would want to do. Again, not their expectation in raising their firstborn child or the son of God to place the son of God with the animal drool. But that's all they had, and so that's what they did. They placed him in a manger. That's all that they were equipped to do, and really that's all that needed to be done in the moment. And when it comes to our own lives, we may at times feel like what we're trying to do is woefully inadequate for what we've been called to do. But we need to do, all we need to do, is what we can when we can. All we need to do is what we can when we can. Not fail to do what's been placed in front of us because it doesn't quite meet up to what we thought it was going to look like. What we assumed our life was going to be at this point, or expectation about what we thought everything was going to, how it was going to play out. We just need to do what we can do when we can do it. God's placed the opportunity there, so we need to do it, to step out and do what he's placed in front of. He, he provided both uh, for us. He provided us with the thing that we are equipped with to uh, do in the opportunity, but he also provided the opportunity with which we are to step into uh, and accomplish our purpose. He provided the equipment and the opportunity to fulfill his purpose in our lives. Simply do what we can when we can. And we have to understand, you have to understand, I have to understand, your gifts and your resources are always abundant for the need. Your gifts and your resources are always abundant for the need. God equipped you with the, with the gifts you have to fulfill what he's called you to. In the same way, he gifted you with the resources to accomplish what you have. And so when we get those thoughts in our mind and say, well, God, you know, I know I've got to do this for my kids, and I know I've got to do this for my job, and I know I've got to do this for whatever you've called in this season of life, and we think, I don't have enough money to do that. I don't have enough skills to do that. I don't have enough gifts to do that. If you had called somebody else, you know, I'm going to wait to do this until I get more in my bank account. I'm going to wait to do this until I learn more and do more. And God says, no, I called you to this season now and equipped you now with what you need to accomplish it. Don't put it off because that's Satan whispering in the back of your mind. Just put it off, man. Just, just put it off. You don't need to worry about it, right? You'll do it later. But we all know because we've done this a thousand times. If you say you'll do it later, you're never going to do it. Because later is going to come and you say, well, I'm still not ready. I'm still not ready. It's, it's not time yet. I'm still not ready. I'm still not there yet. I, I'm not. And then you're going to get to a point and you say, well, I missed my opportunity. I heard a preacher not too long ago. He was preaching, and he was talking about his life. He's a guy in his, in his 50s now, and he said, when I was younger, I always felt like and was told by many people, well, you're too young. I'm, and he said, I got it in my head. I'm just too young to do what God wants me to do. And he said, and then I turned 50, and I felt like, well, I was too old. And he said, when was I just right? He said, when I, was too, when I was this age, I always felt like I was too young, and I was always told that I was too young, and now I feel like I'm too old to accomplish it. I'm just, when was the, the Goldilocks moment? When was I right there? And he had to come to the realization that however old I am right now, with the gifts I have right now, with the resources I have right now, I have been adequately equipped, sufficiently, abundantly equipped to accomplish what God's called me to right now. And so you look at your gifts. What has God gifted me with? How has the Holy Spirit gifted me in my life? Look at my resources. What are the resources he has given me? And, and, and whatever he's called you to, that is abundant to accomplish it if we simply offer it to him. 
Here, Joseph and Mary, all they have been equipped with is somebody else's manger, somebody else's feeding trough. That's all they have. And so what do they do? They place the Son of God in it because that's all they have. That's all they're equipped. That's all the resources they have. And so they use what they have at their disposal and they place him there. Now look at verse 8. This is, the manger thing is going to be very important for you in a second. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I love this passage. Now, when you picture this, I've talked about this before some years ago, but I don't know about you, when you picture that, when I picture this, I see the cartoons, right? You see the shepherds in the field, and the angel appears in the sky, and he yells at them and says his deal, and the angel choir comes, and everybody sings, and, and then the, 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 the angels leave, and the shepherds go to Bethlehem. But if you look at that passage again, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That word appeared actually means stood nearby. So the angel came and stood beside the shepherds. Have you ever had that feeling like there's somebody next to you? Like you're looking this way and you feel like there's somebody breathing down your neck and you turn and you just go, oh, hey, you were, I didn't know you were there, you know? Uh, it's kind of like that. The shepherds are there, middle of the night, everybody's settled down, they're watching the sheep, they're, they're, they're making sure everybody's staying where they're at, and then all of a sudden an angel just plops down in the middle of their camp circle, and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. So it's like permeating through their bodies the brightness of God. Wouldn't you be scared? I mean, this is just blowing their minds at this moment. And they're just flabbergasted. Verse 10. So verse, at the end of verse 9, they were filled with great fear. Of course they were. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now here it is. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a what? A manger. The thing that was woefully inadequate for the king of kings is the very thing God used to announce the most significant event in human history. God took a borrowed manger and told the first people who would hear about it, the son of God is here, the thing that you have been waiting for for thousands of years, this is the day, and you're going to find him in a manger. So don't let anybody whisper in your ear, you don't have enough. You are not enough. You are not skilled enough. You don't have enough money. You can't do it. Here's Mary and Joseph, so broke. They can't buy a baby bed. They have to take somebody else's manger and put the Son of God in it. And God takes that action. They didn't know what God's going to go out there and tell the shepherds. God didn't tell Mary and Joseph, okay, you're going to have Jesus, and you're going to wrap him in swaddling clothes, and then you can place him in the manger, and I'm going to take, then place him in the, you have to put him in the manger, because I'm going to go tell these guys that they're going to find the baby in a manger. No, they just did it. They just put Jesus in the manger, because that's what they had. And so God took that simple action that they, that they were using, what they'd been equipped to use, and announced to the world, the Son of God is here and he's in a manger. Faithfully follow the action God has given you. And so then, anything offered to Jesus 
becomes far more than otherwise possible on its own. Anything offered to Jesus becomes far more than anything possible on its own. This manger was offered to Jesus as he's placed in it, and God uses it on the birth announcement to the world in a manger, in a manger. How many of you have ever, you know, it's a more modern creation, but sent out birth announcements? Or have you ever seen a birth announcement on Facebook, social media, card in the mail? Have any of them had a baby sitting in pig slop in a, in a trough? No? No? Well, that's, well, God announced the Son of God. This manger was offered to Jesus and became far more than anything possible. Now, every nativity scene we have today has that manger in it, has a manger in it. But oftentimes we, we, we see our individual part of existence as though it's not enough, as though it, it can't quite do what we need it to do, as though we are not enough. Well, every Sunday morning at my house, for as, I mean, as long as I can remember, um, I cook breakfast, and I cook uh, waffles. And Katie found this recipe a very long time ago. I have no idea where she found it, but I've changed it significantly over the years. Uh, I need to actually write it down. I, I have not written it down. I need to write it down. Um, but in the recipe, you need some flour. This is our flour container. You need three cups of flour. So that's a lot, three cups of flour to make these waffles. This is our sugar. This is, this is ours. It's from our house. Do not, so if, when I, the service is over, these better not walk away, all right? Because we need this for some of our Christmas stuff we're doing this week. Do not take my flour. Uh, and this is our sugar, three tablespoons of sugar. What else we got? Uh, baking powder, a uh, teaspoon and a half baking powder, uh, half a teaspoon of salt. Well, I didn't put the baking soda in here, but there's also a quarter teaspoon uh, baking soda. Dash of cinnamon. And then all the, all the liquid deals, a little bit of oil, a stick of butter, a couple eggs, some vanilla, um, and then uh, enough milk to make it even. I really need to write this recipe down. <laughs> enough milk to make it you know, the right consistency of dough. Uh, and so, but you look at the ingredients, and you think, okay, well, three cups of flour and only a, a, you know, a half teaspoon of salt. Salt's not that, that important. I mean, it's just a half teaspoon of salt compared to three cups of flour. That's a lot... More over here, the flour is more significant than the salt, so we can just not put the salt in there. It's no biggie. But guys, a couple weeks ago, didn't I forget the salt when I made some biscuits? Were they any good? <laughs> you needed quite a bit of honey to make up for the salt that was left out of the biscuits, I'll tell you that. But at the same time, you need the salt in the recipe. You also need uh, the ingredients to be combined. I mean, who's going to take a big spoonful of flour and munch on that? That's not going to be any good. Now, we, I was a youth minister one time, and we made some of the students play games where they had flour in their mouths, and it was gross, and it was terrible, and I never played those games, but I was a youth minister, made them do it. Flour tastes gross by itself. It's gross. I mean, just nasty. Gross. Sugar by itself, it's not that bad. I mean, Mary Poppins did it. That's why you need some of that. But, uh, but you put it all together, and it makes something really, really good. Y'all should come to my house on Sunday mornings. It may, it'll make you something really, really good, but you got to put them together. Even the little bit of salt has to be in there or it doesn't work. 
The little bit of, even a little bit of cinnamon, they taste a little bit different if you don't put the cinnamon in there. And they'll ask me if, you know, if the cinnamon's not in there, they can tell. They, is this, is, this isn't quite right today. No, oh, we're out of cinnamon. I forgot to put it on the list. So you've got to have it all in order to get it right. And so even this little thing that they're offering to Jesus, this manger, somebody else's manger, they're offering it. And their usage of it was instrumental and a key component of what God placed in the Christmas story. He used it to announce to the world the Son of God is here. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now again, when I've always pictured the Christmas story, I picture a huge angel choir, and they're singing with the best voices you've ever heard. But look at what it says. This is a host of the heavenly angels. This is a heavenly host. That, that is a, the heavenly army. These are fighters. They're equipped for a war. And it doesn't say they sang it. It says they said it. And so if they are equipped for a war and they're saying this, this is like a military chant type of deal here. And they're shouting this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And they shout this, and they disappear. Verse 15, the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Let us see this thing the Lord has made known to us. Now I wonder too, the shepherds sitting around, how long did it take them to gather themselves back up after being shocked and afraid at the first angel and then shocked and afraid at the army of angels and then they all disappear and and if i'm in, i'm one of the shepherds i'm just sitting there like not even knowing what to say i mean words have failed me and, and hours pass and i still can't process everything that's just occurred and then one of them says you know what why don't we go and, and see what these guys were talking about let's just run over there to bethlehem real quick and see the I mean, they've all heard about the Son of God, the Messiah coming someday. They've all been taught that. They've all known about it. It's a cultural uh, understanding. And so they pack up and they walk over to Bethlehem. Maybe they run over to Bethlehem to try to see what's going on. But it's not what they thought the night was going to look like. Just like Mary and Joseph had, had a new understanding of their expectations for life, these shepherds had done day after day, night after night, the same way forever. And all of a sudden, everything has changed. And they have to rethink how they're going to process this, how they're going to think about this. They had a choice to make, to continue with life as it has always been or allow God's intervention to direct their path from this point forward. And what they discovered and what we need to discover is that sometimes the detour may be heaven sent. Sometimes the detour, sometimes the interruption may come from Jesus, may come from God, and we need to follow it. It may not follow our life plan. It may not follow our daily schedule that we thought was going to happen but if it comes from God, we need to be willing and, and, and sensitive enough to his spirit to follow that direction. And so these shepherds, they head to Bethlehem, verse 16. And they went with haste. Some, they were, had great energy. They had great effort. They went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I always think about this, too, like, 
how did they find Mary and Joseph? They just walked through town, just quietly looking around, just peeking in windows, just trying to see, oh, no, nope, no manger. There's a baby there, but no manger there. I'm, I imagine them being very loud, yelling over to the next street. As they hear a baby cry, oh, here's a baby, oh, mm, no manger, okay, let's go, oh, yeah, no swaddling clothes, okay, keep looking, oh, you find him yet? Remember, they're going with Ace, they're running around, they're trying to find the baby, and they're going all over the place until they find him. And somebody screams, I got him, they're here, there's the manger, the baby, the swaddling clothes, and Mary instinctively would grab Jesus, who are these crazy people coming over here? And the shepherds come running up, and they're just amazed at what they find. There they are, just as the angel had said. Mary, Joseph, baby lying in a manger, verse 17. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Everything the angel said, they relayed it to Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph has had it. They've had experience with angels. They know what angels are about. And so this sounds familiar. Verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So everything Mary and Joseph experienced was beyond their control. Jesus being introduced into their relationship, then being told by the government where to go and what to do, the shepherds being shunned and out there in the field and then the angel coming and dropping this bomb in the middle of their lives, the son of God is just a couple of miles that way. And everything seems in the moment, what are we gonna do with this information? How are we gonna take care of this? I can't even process what's happening. How, how do I feel adequately equipped to make a decision about this thing? This is just so beyond my control. You know, we may not be able to control uninterrupted, or uh, we may not be able to control unexpected interruptions, but we can control how we respond to them. We can control how we respond to the situation that can upend our lives, or the phone call that may come at the end of the week that may completely change the the uh, pro, uh, projection of where we were headed. But we can respond in how, or we we can control how we respond to that, whether we respond in faith. Or not, because you need to control what you can control, or what you can't control will control you. Control what you can control, or what you can't control will control you. Control your faithful response. Otherwise, a faithless response will control your future. Control what you can control. Faithfulness in following after God, obeying God and leaving all the consequences up to him in what he has designed for your life. Here's Mary and Joseph, and they're there, and they're doing their thing, and they're obeying God, and then all of a sudden, in just a couple of years, the, the governmental ruler in this region is gonna put a, put a hit on every baby who's two years or under. They don't expect that. They don't anticipate that. But what did they do? They had to respond in faith to that moment, and they fled to a completely different country. That's not what they thought. The Son of God's supposed to be raised in Israel. That's what, I mean, the Messiah is supposed to come up in Israel. This isn't what it's supposed to be. I don't remember reading that in Isaiah. But there was a prophecy about this. And they run down to Egypt, and they hang out there for a little while. 
So again, expectations aren't what they thought, but they did what they could with what they were presented in faithful obedience to God. So when the unexpected happens in your life, how are you going to respond? In faith, in dedication to God, obeying him, and leaving all the consequences to him? Or are you, like I have oftentimes myself, make the other decision and try to do it in my own strength, in my own power, trying to make other people happy in their own opinionated selves? Follow God or follow myself or follow other people. Follow God and find his presence and his power sustaining me through the journey or try to do it on my own outside of God's blessing and will. Every time God's blessing and will has not only the provision and the resource to accomplish it, it has the strength to be able to stand up under the pressures and the uh, brutal assault that this world presents to us. But the only way to access that is through Jesus, is through a following of Jesus. Is we have to make that decision for ourselves. And if you're here today and you do not believe in Jesus, you may have heard about Jesus, you may say Merry Christmas, his name is right there, Christ, Christmas, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then today's that opportunity to believe in simple things. You don't have to pay a cover charge. You don't have to uh, 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 act a certain way, say magic words to, to be a Christian. You simply have to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he came to this earth, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. And that's it. You believe that, then you're a Christian. You believe that, you get your one-way ticket to heaven that nobody can take away from you. It's always yours. Even if you drop a massive sin tomorrow, the decision you make in faith today to follow Jesus will trump that. Because his blood has already paid for it. So believe today. If you never, this is your opportunity right here, right now. Believe. I'm going to pray, and if you need to believe in Jesus, I want you to come and talk to me, and I want to. I'll be right here. I want to celebrate with you. I want to pray for you, and uh, uh, we as a church want to celebrate with you. If you want to put your life in in this church and what God is doing here, we want to do that. Or if you, like we saw this morning, want to get baptized and show the world you belong to Jesus, baptistry's warm. It's warm, isn't it, Veronica? It's warm. Micah baptized today, so it's warm. You, you want to get baptized? We can do it right now. We got baptism t-shirts right there. We can take care of it here and now. If you want to get baptized, we can do it. Maybe you want to get baptized on Christmas Eve. That's just in two days, our Christmas Eve service. Then we can take care of that too. Just come and talk to us down here. Maybe you need to come and pray over the direction your life has been headed. Maybe you need to come and pray in, 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 to do a preemptive strike on your spirit because of what's coming later on this week. Come and pray.